0: All right, so the year was 2007. In 2007, it had been months, listen to me now, months since I had been to Starbucks. And for some of you, you're thinking, boy, you saved a lot of money, didn't you? You know, like it wouldn't bother you at all to not go to Starbucks. Others, you're going, what did you do? You know, and so, yeah, I'm with you. And so I was stressed, and it had been months and months and months without Starbucks. And my dear wife, my loving wife, My beautiful wife, it was like we got there in September, October ish, whatever, and it was like March. And so she said, For your birthday, here's what I got you for your birthday, we're gonna go to Starbucks. And I was like jumping up high five in her, Yes, going to Starbucks. And I'm like, Which one? And she's like, The closest one. I could find, and this is true story, the closest one was in Seville, Spain. And so we're like, okay, we're going to go to Seville, Spain. And we never paused and looked at the calendar. We were never like, is there anything else going on in Seville, Spain? Is there any, well, like this, is, is there anything like this going on? <laughs> Yeah. So it was Holy Week, and Semana Santa, Holy Week, is kind of a big deal in Seville, but we didn't know this. Like, and so we show up to Seville, and this is what it looks like. And so if you look past the arch, there's a church right there, and to either side of the church, there's like a little bitty alley. That's not an alleyway. That's their street. And so you can fit like your car and one person standing against a wall like this, that's all the room you have. And so we're trying to find the hotel and we're going through these streets. I'm going, Amy, left or right. And she's going, I don't know. Cause it's like someone took spaghetti and dumped on a map and said, There's your streets, perfect, you know. And and so she's going, I don't know. And I'm like, I need to know left or right. And she's throwing the map at me. You find it. And so it's so strange it was just chaos. And then we get to the hotel finally. God is so good, right? We got to the hotel and we're on our way to Starbucks. As we're going through Starbucks, this literally, I'm not even making it up, an extra million people in the city, we're in the midst of this. We're right in the middle, and I'm not a claustrophobic person, but that day I was claustrophobic because I'm like, excuse me, pardon me, and they're like, I don't understand Portuguese, you know, and I'm trying to work my way through, and I'm pushing, and I'm sweating, and I can't breathe, and as much as I thought I was struggling, Gabe was struggling more because he was in a stroller at the time, so he's just in legs and bottoms. That's all he can see, and he can't breathe, so he's grabbing people's legs going, move, move, I'm trying to move everybody out of the way, and um, yeah. Maybe you've been there. Not there, but maybe you have been there. But maybe you know the feeling of life is kind of chaotic right now. Maybe in all seriousness, maybe you know what it feels like to kind of be like, I don't even know that I can breathe right this second. It just feels like all the pressure is weighing on me. And I I, I feel a little bit of that when I watch the news right now. And it, you know, if you're a news junkie, this I cause I like kind of am like, and it's like I look at all the news stations because I want to know the different what everyone's saying. And uh, but when you watch the news, it just seems that for every single group, things are getting worse, and that includes Christians, right? It's it's just getting worse. And so, what if I asked you this? What if I said, in that type of environment? right? The environment that's just chaos, the environment that we see when we turn on the news, the environment that says they want to tear your limbs off and throw you to the lions, that type of environment. Do you really think it's possible to have peace in that environment? Do you think, do you think it's possible to really have peace? Well, what if I said it like this? What if I said, do we as a church really believe that in a chaotic world that wants to throw the church to the lions that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? Do you really believe it? So this is a brand new sermon series today. We're uh, going to be studying seven short but important letters. They were written by John when he was in exile on the island of of Patmos. He was writing to seven specific churches in what today is modern day Turkey. These letters are written in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. But today I really want to set up the series. So let's take our Bibles and let's open up to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation... Chapter One. In each of these letters, there's a specific sin, a specific weakness, a specific temptation that the churches have fallen into. And this is kind of cool. Like, even though the churches received these letters 2,000 years ago, we as a church can read it and still be impacted in a powerful way today. The whole series is called Drift. Here's what happens if we're not careful we start to drift from the calling that we have in the gospel, don't we? We start to drift from the place where we know that we are supposed to love the Lord our God with everything. Like, love Him so much we do what His Word says to do, and yet we can drift from that. We're supposed to love our neighbors ourselves, and yet we can start to drift from that. We start to drift from the calling of the gospel in our lives. And so the whole point to this is to align our lives with Christ. Now, before we... Jump into the seven letters, you have to acknowledge who the letters are from, and they're from Jesus. That brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that the church rests secure in Christ. The church rests secure in Christ. The church rests secure when there's emotional turmoil going on. We still rest secure in Christ. The church even when there's, uh, there, there's financial turmoil going on, the church rests secure in Christ. Even in the middle of Seville and Samana Santa, the church rest secure in Christ. And so what we're going to do is I'm really just going to look at two uh, different points today of how the church rests secure in Christ. The first is we're going to see the glorious king stands in the midst of his church. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 16. I'm going to read this In its entirety, and then pick it apart a little bit. John writes this. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So one of the important things we need to cover before we really dive into this series is the genre that we're reading. Because see, the Bible has a lot of different genres in it, doesn't it? You don't read the book of Psalms, which is poetry, the same way that you read Proverbs, which is wisdom literature. And you don't read Proverbs like you'd read Luke, which is narrative. Well, this is what's known as apocalyptic literature, which for some of you are like, oh, man, here we go. Like it started, he said it. He said apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic, I think it makes some of you feel that way because apocalyptic, it sounds like like doomsday, doesn't it? Like the end of days, like the end times, that's the word we like to use. But what's funny is the word apocalyptic, like it literally means revelation. Put your church brain on pause for a moment. Just put your church brain on pause. If you put your church brain on pause and I said, hey, I have a revelation for you. I want to reveal something to you that I've been working. We're going to have a family chat. I'm going to reveal some things to you. It doesn't freak you out. You're like, oh, you're going to tell me some stuff. Like, there's some stuff I didn't know that were kind of mysterious a little bit, and you're going to let me know it. The whole point to this is to reveal to these seven churches... Not to be mysterious, not to, not, not, to, not to speak in a way that they can't understand. In fact, it's the opposite, is to reveal to them. And, and the revealing is incredible. In fact, if you look at Revelation 1.1, it says this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a revelation that's coming from Jesus. Now, if we look at a literal definition of apocalyptic literature, this would have appeared often in the first century, whether it was um, among the Jewish culture or the entire Roman world as a whole. And so one theologian defined it like this. He said, apocalyptic literature is a supernatural unveiling of what's about to take place. It's a divine disclosure that's given, usually by angels to some prominent person, in which God promises to intervene in human history, destroy evil, and bring his kingdom. Apocalypses are given to encourage, don't miss this, Apocalypses are given to encourage and strengthen those who are suffering to persevere and continue the faith. It's given to strengthen those who are suffering to persevere and continue the faith. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what trials, no matter what tribulations, if you're going through persecution because of the gospel, John is writing this from Jesus to encourage us to continue to persevere, even in the face of suffering. This is where the imagery, we're going to have some symbolic language, we're going to have some imagery, but every single bit of it is supposed to point us to Jesus. So picture it like this. Picture you standing on this earth with chaos all around you. You can picture it, Samantha, Santa, right? Seville, picture yourself right there, chaos all around you. The whole point to this is to tell those seven churches, really to tell us, fix your eyes on Jesus. Here are the promises of Jesus. This is a revelation making known this mystery from Jesus. So John starts in verse number nine and tells us that he's on the island of Patmos. Patmos is, is a Greek island. So in your mind, when you picture a Greek island, you're probably picturing Patmos mostly, right? The beautiful blue water, it probably stops right there. Like beautiful blue waters, but then it's mostly treeless, right? There's very, very little vegetation, very few trees. It's kind of a volcanic, rocky island. And what the Romans would do in the first century is they would take people... That they didn't want to see or hear from and basically put them on this island like a prison. And John says he's there because of this. He says, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, the Romans didn't like me talking about Jesus very much. And they told me to shut up. I told them I can't help but speak about what I've seen and heard. All the other disciples, think about this. All the other disciples had already been martyred by this point. Most of those that were friends of John now, they're going through heavy persecution. And yet John still would not be quiet about the gospel. So the Romans took John. They put him on this island to say, we never want to see from you or hear from you again. They put him on this island. And here's how he starts it. He says, I'm a brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus know how encouraging that is? John is saying, hey, if you're going through stuff, if you're going through heavy stuff, as he's writing to these seven churches that are going through persecution, John's saying, I just want you to know I stand with you. I I, I get it. I'm going through it as well. My friends, they're they're gone. Like, I, I get it. I know what it is to be in your shoes, and I'm standing with you. In verses 10 and 11, he says that he was in the Spirit praying on the Lord's day. He was in the Spirit praying on the Lord's day. Have you ever... Have you ever been in the middle of church and you got your Bible there and you're reading and maybe someone's preaching and as you're reading and someone's preaching, it's like someone takes a blindfold off. Has that ever happened to you? And you almost want to stand up and you almost want to say, wait, 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 I get it. Like, I don't know that I've ever got it before. I've been trying to get it, but it's so hard to understand. But all of a sudden, like, I get it. Have you ever had that? Or maybe it's your prayer closet, like it's all alone and you're reading the Bible. And that ha- it's like, it's the best feeling, isn't it? you're just in this place of worship with the Lord saying oh my goodness how have I missed this forever but like I or have you been in that place where you're singing like maybe even just a little bit ago and like maybe everyone else is worshiping and you're doing this you're kind of standing watching like this here's how you're singing it's not singing by the way this is spectating like, you know, Christians got talent, stuff America's got talent, and you think, like, I'm just kind of judging. How are they doing today? It's kind of loud a little bit. They're rocking the house today. Last week, it's kind of acoustic, you know, it's all chill, and, you know, and then all of a sudden something happens as you're spectating and walk, watching, and, and it just starts kind of at your toes, and your hands just kind of go up in the air, and you're like, I surrender, Lord. And you say, I surrender, Lord. You start to sing, but it's not like a normal sing, like, you know, this is the day. It's not like that. It's more like I'm going to sing with everything in me. I'm going to sing with every fiber of my being because I don't care who's listening. I don't care who's watching. This is about my Jesus right now. And I'm just going to praise him with all I have. Have you ever had that moment? Because if you have that moment, it changes everything. And that's where John is. John is worshiping on the Lord's Day. He doesn't have eight or 900 people with him, church. He is just there, and he is worshiping on the Lord's Day. We don't know whether he's reading Scripture. We don't know whether he's praying prayers. We don't know whether he has holy hands lifted and he's singing. We just know that he is in this place of worship when he heard behind him a loud voice like a trumpet. There is this loud, booming voice that says, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Isn't that powerful? This is the Lord saying, I'm about to lay out a specific message for you, John, that you are supposed to give to these seven different churches. And John does what you or I would do. If we're in here right now and you hear a loud, booming voice behind you, if I hear a loud, booming voice behind me, we're going we're to turn around, right? So that's what he does. He turns around and the first thing he sees is not what you expect. We are expecting to see Jesus, don't we? But look what he sees in verse 12. He sees seven golden lampstands. We're going to come back to that, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now, the lampstands are the seven churches. And we know because it makes it crystal clear. The seven golden lampstands, and, and right in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Now I want to, just real fast, time out. I, I think the thing with Revelation is some people never read Revelation, like they're scared of it. And some people only read Revelation, like that's all they read, you know. And, and sometimes people where, where that's all they read, the danger is when that person starts to watch the news or read the newspaper, because then they come to me and say, Pastor, end times are here. End times are here. Have you been watching the news? Have you been watching it? end times are here? And they really get, you know, kind of worked up about it. I just want to say there's danger in that. There's danger in taking your 21st century historical bias and trying to interpret Scripture through your filter. Does that make sense to you? John didn't have CNN.com or FoxNews.com. John didn't have that. John maybe had some scrolls, maybe not. But I'll tell you where I have been convicted already in this series is John had such a mastery of the Old Testament. And you're going to see it already this morning. You are going to see his ability to so quickly pull from the Old Testament and use it in his descriptions. Uh, This is called the principle of the analogy of faith in biblical interpretation. And essentially what I'm saying is, Scripture should interpret Scripture. Scripture should interpret Scripture. So when, now again, we know the lampstands are the churches. You're going to hear that from Jesus in just a moment. But it'd be like taking the lampstands and to say, well, based on what I see in the news, the lampstands, like maybe that's China and Russia and the United States. And, you know, because that's kind of our world, you know, it's, there, there's danger in that. Use scripture to interpret scripture. And when you do that, what you're going to see is in verses 13 through 16, we see this description of Jesus And John directly pulls from the book of Daniel. Write this down. Daniel 7.13. When you see that phrase, son of man, that comes straight from Daniel chapter 7. And then you start to see these eyes and the sword from the mouth and the bronze feet. That's coming from Daniel chapter 10. You want to write that down and go back and read it later. Each of these descriptions, look at them. It talks about the robe and the golden sash. This is Jesus as exalted, right? Jesus as dignified not just can you imagine this is john we're talking about john the disciple that jesus loved john the disciple that laid his head on the chest of jesus he turns around and he's like oh this is not the jesus that i spent 3 years with this is jesus full on in all of his glory and he has blazing eyes there's a penetrating eyesight from God, not just a penetrating eyesight on John or on the seven churches, but on us today. the white head and hair, this is a Christ pictured in his eternal wisdom, deserving our respect. You go back to Leviticus 1932, Proverbs 20:29, 20, and what you're going to see is these pictures of the respect, this do with the wisdom. You're going to see bronze feet. This is showing God having all power and stability. The stars in his right hand. I'm actually gonna come back to this. The stars in his right hand, but we know that God has sovereign control over all the churches. The sword from his mouth, the sword's gonna symbolize this divine power, this power of righteous judgment. His word is authoritative. Can I tell you we need to know that today, that his word is authoritative? You no, know, and I think sometimes that we do is, I think sometimes we read the Bible. And we go, oh, authoritative. Mm, Let me think about what the meaning of that really is. Someone asked you to go one mile. Jesus says you go a second mile. I don't know if he literally means that you should really go above and beyond when helping people out. I think the whole point is you should just help people out. No, that's not what it says. Like the Bible is authoritative. right? That we should forgive people. Well, they got to hurt you before you can forgive them. Right? If they didn't hurt you in the first place, you don't need to forgive them. And so Jesus literally means we're supposed to forgive people. They we're literally supposed to love people. The Bible, the Bible, his holy word is authoritative. Like we see that from the double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, his radiant face. The last description of the Son of Man says he had a face like a sun shining in its strength. Also following the pattern of Daniel chapter 10. But that description actually comes from Judges chapter 5 verse 31. So John turns around. And who does he see? He sees all powerful. All majestic. Almighty. Warrior. King. Jesus. That's who he sees. And then I want you to look about where Jesus is standing, because the where he is standing says so much. He's standing right in the midst of the lampstands. Do you see that? Right in the midst of the churches, right in the middle of those who are going through persecution, of those who are going through pain, Jesus is standing right in the middle of the lampstands. Isn't that awesome? It's almost like before there was like psychology that even existed. The Bible got it. It got one of those core things at the heart of who we are. Here's what I mean. Watch any movie. It doesn't even matter the movie. There's a little boy. There's a little girl. It's dark outside. It's late at night. There's a thunderstorm. The tree's beating against the house, and a glass breaks downstairs. You see the scene? Where's that little boy or that little girl going to run? Straight into mom and dad's room. Why? Why? Because even if there's chaos, even if things are going crazy around me, even if I'm afraid, I know that if I go into mom and dad's room, there's safety and there's protection and just being close to them. They're going to provide that comfort. Listen again. A powerful, almighty King Jesus is standing right in the middle of these churches as they go through persecution. You got to wonder... John being the only one who's recorded at being at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. Who lived past all of his friends, the other disciples being martyred. Who was seeing all his other friends being persecuted. You got to remember how many times people came to John and said, John, where's Jesus? John, where is he? You're supposed to know, John. He cooked you breakfast, don't you remember? Like Peter was out fishing in the boat, and Jesus was resurrected, and he cooked you. Don't you remember? He cooked you breakfast. He said he's with us always, even to the very end of the age, right, John? Isn't that what he said? You saw him ascend into heaven. He said he's coming back. John, where is he? And right here, John is saying, he's standing right in the midst of the churches, right in the middle of the lampstands. That's where Jesus is. I'm telling you I don't know what kind of chaos exists in your world but I'm telling you Jesus is right here in the midst of us. He is right here. So when there's chaos around us we find comfort in the fact that the glorious king is right in the midst of his church the second thing and the last we're going to see the powerful savior equips his church to overcome. Look at verse 17. Revelation 1:17 When I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. Those that are and those that are that take place after. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. It's pretty awesome. So John. John is in the middle of worshiping. He hears this loud thunderous noise behind him. He turns and he sees warrior, majestic King Jesus, and he passes out. Like that's it. He just, bam, he eats it. Like falls face forward, which shouldn't surprise us. This is the same response we see all throughout the Old Testament, isn't it? When an Old Testament prophet would come face to face with the glory of God, They would either pass out, they would shrink back and be scared to death, or they would just lay face first. Like, I just want to get as low as I can before God because you are so holy and so powerful. I just want to get as low as I can before you. That's where John is when he feels the right hand of Jesus on him. And he says this, he says, fear not, I'm the first, the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys Of death and Hades. Jesus says, John, I have a message for you. The church, they're going through a tribulation. They're going through trials. They're throwing them to the lions. John, the thing that they're really scared of, they're scared of dying. They're scared of hell. I want you to know this, John. I've conquered death. I have conquered hell. I hold the keys in my hand. That imagery would have been so powerful to the Jews in the first century because the only one who has the power to hold the keys of death and of Hades in their hand is God himself. And Jesus was saying, I'm holding the keys. Don't be afraid. I've got the keys. It's going to be a fun series. This this is going to be a really fun series. I want to leave you with this. Uh, What would you... What would you think? How would you process if you knew, like, I could do this thing in the name of Jesus, and there's no way I could fail? Like, I just, I, I wouldn't fail. Like, I just know things would be okay. No matter how crazy it seems, things would be okay. The year was 2001, 2002. I don't remember which, but I took a group of students uh, from Texas and went to Florida to see this preacher guy named Louis Giglio. And some of you know Louis, and some of you don't know Louis. It, doesn't really matter. But Louis was preaching that week, talking about how a buddy of his had invited him to climb the Matterhorn with him. And so Louie's like looking super fit because he's like, my buddy said just get in the best shape of my life and um, j- just be ready and that he would stay right behind me and the whole time he'd be telling me that he's not going to let me fail. Like no matter what's going on, he's going to be right there behind me and he's going to keep me going and there's no way that I can fail. He's going to be right there. And so he'd run the stairs during the breaks and stuff. He's going up and down this hotel, just trying to keep in shape. A few months later, I actually heard back from him, and he had a picture of him at the summit of the Matterhorn. And here's what he said. He said, no one told me that people die on that mountain. Like, I found that out when I got there. And uh, he goes, which is crazy, because I'd never done, like, I didn't even go hiking, let alone climb mountains. You know, I'd never done that. And he goes, but I understood why people die because I got on the mountain, and as I started to walk, the higher up you get, the more your lungs burn. Your, your body is literally starving for oxygen. And he said, all I could think is just keep going, just put one foot in front of the other foot in front of the other. He goes, little steps, <laughs> they weren't big steps. They were just very small steps forward. And the whole time I could hear my buddy behind me. Louis, don't stop. Keep walking. Little steps, buddy. I'm not going to let you fall. I'm right here behind you. We're not going to quit. I'm with you. Here's why I share that story. I'm afraid some of you, you watch the news right now, and you end up with feelings of doom thinking, I don't know if the church is going to make it through this. Some of you look at your own life, and you're saying, based on what's going on financially, with my health, with my career, with my relationship, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. And John gives us this encouragement that says Jesus is right in the midst of the church. And in his hand, he holds the keys of death. He holds the keys of hell. And Jesus continues to tell us, keep going. Don't stop. It can be little steps, but keep putting one foot in front of the other. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your holy word that continues to pierce our hearts. That continues to sharpen us to be a better reflection of you. Lord, for my brother, sister in this room right now that maybe they're just hurting, they do find it hard to breathe, they're stressed to the max, there's chaos all around. I pray that this morning they receive comfort. And Lord, the comfort that they receive comes from you. You're the only one who can provide the comfort that we need. Lord, you're our rock and our strong tower. You're our refuge and you're our hope. We thank you for the incredible picture of the reality of King Jesus. Today, Lord, let us have confidence in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, at this time, I want to invite you to stand as we finish our morning and worship together.